You're listening to the Monday Christian Podcast, the program that helps you put into action the truth of God's Word that you hear on Sunday to your everyday life on Monday. And now, here is your host, Ezra Beyer. Well, hey there, welcome to the Monday Christian Podcast again. Great to have you listening. Real quick, before we jump into this episode here, I'd just like to let you know, I do a newsletter every week, comes out Friday morning, so if you go to themondaychristian.com, sign up, you can't miss it, it's a pop-up window, type in your email address, and you'll get my profound insights every Friday morning. It's good. So, there we go, it's there's good. the plug. Elliot, here I we go. I can give a five-star review. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I need to leave, it was so funny, when I was pastoring years ago, there was this lady in our church. And I asked different people, you know, in our congregation, because we were just getting started, hey, could you leave some reviews on Google, right? And most do the right mm-hmm. thing. Oh, five stars. This is amazing, you know, whatever. <laughs> and then this one lady came consistently every week, right? She says, you know, good, good place, three stars. And I was mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. I don't think she understood <laughs> what I was trying to get her to sit and do, but she was probably were- accurate. She was probably. You weren't asking her for a review. You were asking her for encouragement, is what you were doing. Well, it's like whenever you see authors, right? They'll post it on their Facebook page. You know, please leave me a, an honest review or something like that. Right. Don't right. believe it. Yeah. That's not what they want. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. just want the five yeah, stars. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Well, I don't know how we got off on that, but uh, got a good conversation here today. Brian Russell on his book, Astonished by the Word, Practical Bible talk about, hey, Mm -hmm. you know, if you're going through a season where the power of scripture isn't transforming you like it did, how can you kind of regain that sense of awe and wonder? Um, And then, but we go in a lot of different directions. Brian talks about going through Mm -hmm. a deep, dark valley, his dark night of the soul, and really struggling with that. And God, are you there? And, And almost feeling like, man, maybe I'm becoming an atheist, right? And then finding his way through really some specific practices that he gets into. And so if that piques your interest, if you're listening to this, maybe you're, you know, you fall into that camp, I think this will be a great conversation uh, for you on that topic. If you haven't spent much time studying scripture too, right? I think this is a great episode to tune into. Um, We go pretty deep into the inspired word of God and what that means or what that looks like and how it applies we to throw, our life. We throw around some terms. <laughs> There's a few terms for that sure. Brian mentions, and I'm like, oh, oh, we. I think we uh, we need a little dictionary here to, to add that in. But uh, really, really great stuff, and I'm I'm thankful for him uh, sharing what he does. So, let's go ahead and get into this conversation with Dr. Brian Russell. Well, Brian, it's great to have you on the Monday Christian Podcast. Thanks for joining us. No, I'm really grateful for the opportunity. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Well, you've been teaching for a while now. How many years have you been teaching? Yeah, this is going to be my 24th academic year in a row at Asbury, and and I did a couple of years before I did my PhD. So it's uh, been pretty much my entire adult life. I started teaching at the seminary when I was 25, and then I came back full-time when I was 30. So our guest on the podcast next week, uh, Christine, I think it's Bieber, if that's how you pronounce it. She teaches at Wheaton, and she wrote a book on the flourishing teacher. And it's a fascinating read because it talks about all the challenges that teachers have, especially this time of year. Um, do you enjoy teaching? Is that a fun experience, for enjoyable experience for you, or 
a little bit heavy. You know what? I, I, I'm actually one of the rare people that when they were a little kid, wanted to grow up and be a professor. Like I wanted to be a, a World War II historian when I was like six or seven years old. And I just always loved, I've just always loved learning. And then when I get excited about it, I love sharing it, whether it's, you know, through speaking or teaching or writing. So yeah, I still actually lo love to teach. I mean, with, with most professors, most of us will, I mean, I don't care to gr grading gets old really fast to be honest. And then, <laughs> and then faculty meetings, but I mean, the, the, the pure teaching, um, you know, like when I say my own mission has always been to seek out a uh, study and embody the deepest truths about God so I can share them uh, lovingly, uh, transformationally and compellingly to others. I mean, so I'm, I sit in my sweet spot. So yeah, I, I really love teaching still. Do you ever, did you ever hit a wall in your teaching career where you felt like, ah, you, you get removed from culture a little bit and then you struggle to connect with younger kids that are coming in? Um, how, how do you keep rooted? I keep rooted, you know, it's really interesting because the, the, the students do change. That's, that's absolutely true. And I'm not going to claim that, um, I've got a total handle on the, you know, the youngest students at the seminary, we get across the spectrum. So like when I started, I was like 30 and a lot of times students would be older than me. I'm 54 now. So that's getting a little rarer these days, but, uh, I've worked across the spectrum. And so, the thing that I've always found helpful for me is I work harder on myself and on my own learning. And I've noticed as long as I stay interested in learning and, and continuing to learn hard things, read difficult books, maybe, you know, try new things, I can always connect with other people because I've never forgotten what it's like to, to, walk into a classroom and just be overwhelmed because I'll put myself in situations where I feel lost. And that's always helped me to connect with people. Now, you know, I have to figure things out sometimes, but that's that I'm, I'm a, a lifelong learner and I, people mostly find my style infectious because I actually work with students. I have videos because that's one thing I have changed up. I teach students time management. I teach them <clears throat> Um, how to think about hard classes. I teach them the levels of learning. So I actually sort of do coaching to the students when they come in. So then I can go through the more difficult things that, you know, I teach exegesis and sometimes biblical language, the stuff that scares people most of the time. So I actually work <laughs> on mindset a lot. And so that's always helped me to connect with, with most people. Again, I'm not going to pretend like everybody likes me because that's never true, but, but I, I mostly do pretty well with, with most, with most students. Biggest difference between students when you first started teaching and, and today? I think, well, the biggest, uh, the biggest difference would be students, uh, when I first started, and this does, it kind of probably depends. The one thing I would know is I teach Old Testament. And so like when I first started, I would say students were most interested and worried about things like evolution, real deep questions on inerrancy. And I've noticed over the years that like, so in, so in some of those cases, I might've come off as being the more liberal person in the classroom as the teacher. And I've, and I, and I've noticed it just, the, that, so it kind of bounces around. So that's the thing that's changed. I'm probably, um, the students care less about historical critical issues than they did I mean, in general than they yeah. used to. And so 
it's kind of easier now to teach because I can literally just focus on the text itself. And then we can deal with history as it arises versus setting up, you know, defending like a, if some people were upset if um, seven days of creation or like people would assume there were never any places in the Bible where there were tensions. And, it, and, and so you'd have to almost like, hey, let's look at this really carefully. Not that I want to mess with your faith, but, you know, this isn't saying the same thing. And, and I'd have to kind of gingerly point things out. Most students come in um, probably needing to be coaxed back to maybe a little higher view of Scripture than in the past. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fascinating because I, I think I can see exactly what you're saying there. Uh, we had Scott McKnight in the podcast several weeks ago, and he talked about that, just the shift that's taken place in the last 30 years and you know all that. Elliot, you just got out of being a student. So, I did. hey, well, what are you thinking as you listen here? Well, I'm, I'm thinking how earlier you mentioned you, you can be uh, terrified sometimes when you walk into the classroom or overwhelmed, right? That was me for uh, a lot of my time in Bible college. Um, a big reason why I did go to Bible college was because of some of those questions, actually, and trying to find answers. I'm curious, what's the the why that students are maybe as interested in the historical or some of those uh, questions anymore? Do you know why that shift happened? Is there a specific moment you see or why is that? You know, I think actually there's been a shift. And again, I I don't want to overstate my own understanding mm -hmm. of culture, but I it seems like today, most especially younger generations have just grown up with like information overload mm -hmm, and most mm -hmm. of it's present related. And so there just isn't really, you could say there's no baggage in a sense, but there's no neither good nor bad baggage because there just isn't essentially a lot of knowledge of the past. So in other words, to even jar somebody with historical criticism, I'd have to actually start with traditional interpretation and kind of go through the whole thing. So in a sense, folks are coming in um, maybe less prepared, like most students that come into my classes now have never even read the entire Bible. And this is at a seminary. Mm. And so again, if you went to Bible college, that wouldn't be true. A lot of times it's their first course. And so they don't even know, <laughs> they don't even know what they don't know. And so there's not this implicit, um, you know, the core kind of classic conservative evangelical presuppositions. And I think the other thing that I've noticed, um, and I think this is good. Uh, and, and again, this isn't a a blanket statement. Um, students are really interested in the actual ministry itself and maybe not the intellectual theological stuff that sits behind ministry. So they're more interested in, like I would say, ethics, like how do I live this out in the present mm -hmm. versus all the theoretical structures. And so that's, you know, sometimes that's what the students struggle with. They have a real heart I mean, again, I teach at Asbury, so you know, like one of the thing I love about Asbury is we, uh, we're, we're we have holiness roots, so we talk about God's capacity to you know bring sanctification and holy love into our lives, and I and you know that fires me up, and I and I know the students are still attracted to that transformation, mm -hmm. uh, but they're looking for you know the tools to kind of make how do you do that versus let's lay out all of the kind of the theology behind it. So again, I'm probably right. overstating a few things, but those are some of the shifts that I, that I have a sense in that students seem to be more, a little bit more impatient um, with, um, mm -hmm. with content. And it's, and I think that's because people are used to, you know, 
don't know something, you just look it up. But on Google, boom, and it's right there. Right. It's kind of yeah. amazing. So I, I think I, I think that right. has something to to do with it. But again, there are still students that want to do the deep dive that come in, like maybe from a Bible college that already know a lot of the stuff mm -hmm. and they want to go a lot further. So I'm just speaking in general um, to yeah. folks that want to come in. That's very interesting because one of one of the things I've argued is that most the average person could have access to information on anything they'd like if it, any religion you know any resource and it, so it makes it difficult I think sometimes when um, you're in a culture that's so saturated with information uh, for yeah students from wherever to come in and I, I've seen it at Bible college where maybe their information was so heavy on on yeah other topics that now are being challenged and they don't know what they don't know and if they're not in a setting i argue like like bible college <clears throat> cultures in my opinion um not trying to throw a blanket statement but gonna sway them um uh, away from that you're not gonna find that maybe somewhere at a the theological seminary so one more thing to follow up there then is how do how would you recommend dealing with some of these cultural issues, such as when scripture has maybe difficult passages, right? <clears throat> Students come in and, and they say, you know, professor, the, the scripture says this, and it's a, it's a hot button topic, or it deals with cultural problems and, and, and a culture war. How do you recommend going about some of these difficult passages in scripture? No, 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 no that's a great question. And um, yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I want you to say that the, the, the phrase, they don't know what they don't know, super important because mm -hmm. um, that's where a lot of the disconnect goes. And that's exactly what I start students with. The learning cycle is most of the time you don't know what you don't know, and then you mm -hmm. know what you don't know. And that's where we lose people. And it's so important for what, any part of the church is to understand that, that we have to lead people along from our position of knowledge. And so, yeah. So what do you do with a difficult text? Um I mean, and literally, I mean, that's what I consider my job. Like, some, like if I'm on an airplane and somebody goes, hey, what do you do? Um, you know, sometimes tell them, well, well, I'm a professor of Bible. That can be a really fast conversation stopper. You'll get a good sleep on the plane. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, you know, if I really, if I'm feeling, you know, like I want to have a real conversation and not just chill out myself, sometimes I'll say something like, you know, I have the privilege of, um, uh, I teach the Bible, um, and what my role is, is I try to teach people not to oppress other people with the Bible. Mm -hmm. um, and that'll usually get a, a conversation going. And so like, so one of the things um, that I find helpful <clears throat> when we're dealing with a deep, with a difficult passage, well, well of course, um, one of the things I, core things is I teach the entire biblical narrative. And so I try in my classes to frame out and there's nothing unique about what I do, but it's, I, you know, I do like a narrative, like creation, fall, Israel, Jesus, the Messiah, church, the new creation. So I have this big overarching um, thing and I'm, it's, so I'm being canonical, essentially do, using the whole scriptures. Mm -hmm. So it's important when we find a difficult text to make sure we understand it in the context. And then as a professor of interpretation, um, we, we want the big biblical context, but most, most importantly, before you get to that, you have to at least try to listen to the text and figure out what was going on that allowed the biblical author 
to actually say it the way that the biblical author says something. So we need to understand a little bit about the background. That's where I would introduce some of the historical stuff. You know, like some maybe some of the listeners are familiar. I think John Walton is one of the clearest uh, modern. We had him on last books. year. Yep. Yeah, he said, yeah, so good. I mean, his stuff is really good for setting frameworks and stuff. So, so once you set the context up, you still have to deal with the text itself. And so, um, I do a thing um, in a pre previous book of mine, realigning with God. Is I got interested because uh, I was I did a church plant um, in my past as well. I was interested in what I called um, missional interpretation. So it was the idea that. I, need, I wanted to figure out how to read the Bible in a way that just didn't speak to insiders who already had kind of the Christianese, the Christian language, but in a way that invited, I would call them outsiders, but I don't mean that to be a kind of a black and white thing, but people that don't yet follow Jesus, however you want to describe these people. So in the past, we would have maybe called them lost people, but you know that so we have insiders and outsiders, and I try to create a framework to hear the text and what I noticed uh, uh, the, and this comes out in my, my newer book is we have a tendency with difficult texts sometimes to project the application outside of ourselves. So if, you know, if we're talking about um, say sexual ethics or something, we imagine the people that are already breaking what the text says. And what I try to train students to do is that tends to be usually thoughts. If you're trying to actually engage culture, that usually doesn't work because people are pretty entrenched. And so what I try to train folks to do is before you actually kind of turn the text outward from yourself or outward from the ch your church setting, that you make sure that you literally turn the text inward. In fact, I, I even have a, you know, I'm saying, and it's kind of one of my favorite parts of the book. It's like when, I've discovered in my own life, whenever I read a text and I immediately think about somebody else, what that really is a signal that I need to think more about how this text engages me, even if it's not mm -hmm. obvious. So I really try to get folks to slow down around really hard passages. Uh, I had a mentor named uh, Robert Tuttle. He's, he's still alive. He's in his 80s now, but he's retired. Um, uh, he would... <clears throat> read Bible. He'd read a Bible. He still does this. He, he reads a Bible for somebody every year, every year, and he put little notes in the Bible. Um, and he has a little um, a phrase on hard passages. He'll, he'll do um, not yet enough light. So he writes N-Y-E-L or something in the margin. And what he says is like some passages, you got to squeeze them a little harder before they'll shout, shout gospel. And so, you know, um, that's a general statement I'm making. So how do you do that? Um, I think the best way to do this is you do all that normal exegetical work with a hard passage, but at the end, you have to ask yourself, okay, how does this text teach love for God? And then how does this text teach love for neighbor? And in fact, that was the quotation that kind of led me to my, th this new book that I was, uh, you know, kind of sent you guys, but I use the Augustine quotation. And I'll just, let me read it. Cause I had that here in my notes. Yeah. 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 He yeah. says, he says this, he says, so anyone who thinks that he has understood the divine scriptures or any part of them, but cannot understand, uh, but, but cannot by his understanding build up this double love of God and neighbor has not yet succeeded in understanding them. Why was that so impactful for you? Because in, in our divided world, I've noticed, um, and again, I'll just take it from the Christian side. We sometimes take pretty, we take positions that are biblical, 
but it ends up sounding like um, like hate to others. And sometimes we even mm-hmm. are pretty aggressively apply it outwardly. And I like this text because I thought, okay, again, there's always people that aren't going to like what the Bible says, including myself sometimes, <laughs> I'm just going to say. So the Bible says hard things. But I, I love that text, number one, because it reminded me of John Wesley and the whole idea of like this Christian perfection, growing in love for God and neighbor, holiness, however you want to think about it. And I thought, you know, that's a great place. Um, I need to make sure before I teach anything, especially difficult passages that make real demands on people's lives, that I've read it deeply enough and closely enough that I can explain how it teaches us to love God and to love our neighbor as ourselves. So so I, I saw this as a way forward, kind of grabbing something from the ancient world, the early church. Augustine was a such an important early theologian. And taking that and just playing around with like what would it look like to try to come up with a you know a spiritual formation way of reading scripture that kind of honored that principle. Hmm. It's interesting. The other day I was listening to Phil Vischer, so the creator of Veggie Tales. Some of you will know that name. Uh, in one third of American homes that had families, didn't realize it was that uh, that influential. But uh, anyways, he was sharing with <laughs> a guy named Ed Stetzer, um, and he was sharing about one of the regrets that he had with that series um, was that he taught people Bible stories, but not so much how to connect it to the grand theme of Scripture. I'm paraphrasing there, but that's loosely kind of what he was getting at. I thought that was fascinating because I think that's very... Who do we have on? Um, back a while ago, anyways, she, she talked specifically about that, that it's so easy to get up and preach, talk about David and Goliath and hey, here's your application and the way we go. Um, for those that don't understand the grand narrative of Scripture, if someone were to sit next to you on an airplane and just say, you know, Brian, what's the Bible all about? How would you explain that to them in, in a soundbite? Yeah, and uh, um, yeah, I can, I can, I can actually uh, uh, do that. Um, the grand narrative of Scripture is it's it's basically it's it's recognizing that the Bible, though in a, in all of its diversity, is teaching a story that begins with the beginning of creation, where God creates a perfect world. He puts men and women in there to serve essentially in His image, which means every person is created uniquely to be the visible representation of the invisible God and to live with a purpose. They were, we were to be God's hands, feet, and mouthpieces in creation. And we were to model before creation, the great King, and essentially be God's priests, if you will. That's, that's what the creation story is. But there's a problem because the very good world, and that's what the early, the first chapter says, that it was very good after humans are created, the whole, everything exists. But the very good world that we live in doesn't exist anymore. And Genesis 3 to 11 gives us a series of narratives, and then most people will know something about the Adam and Eve and the serpent and the Noah's Ark and Cain and Abel. All of those stories are there to to describe the reality that the perfect world that God created doesn't exist and that uh, sin uh, has entered and infested every single person and the creation itself. But the good news is God hasn't let go of that original vision. And so the rest of the biblical story from Genesis 12 all the way to the end tells the story of how God essentially saves creation. He calls a people to himself, which we know from the Old Testament was Israel. And Israel was to be 
God's missional people that existed uh, to reflect who God was to the rest of the world and Israel. And again, it depends how much time I have. I could go a little bit more into that. But basically, Israel then was the one people on the earth through which God was going to redeem the whole creation. And that's so important to connect. So it isn't just God loves Israel and doesn't like anybody else. God loves Israel for the sake of everyone else. In the fullness of time, out of Israel's story comes Jesus, uh, God's son, who is the Messiah, who, who fulfills everything that Israel was supposed to be, dies on a cross, is resurrected. Post-resurrection, the risen Christ, the, the, the Spirit comes in his absence and empowers his disciples that he called to be this recreative force in the world in anticipation of the end when God is going to make all things new and we'll have the fullest expression of the kingdom of God. And that's what's called new creation. So you have this mm -hmm. big story of how God is rescuing our world and restoring it back and maybe even better than what he ultimately intended it to be. And God invites us to be part of that story. One of the challenges, we talked about this earlier, but I think most young adults like my age that we face is, of course, the information overload, but also the way we process information. So Google, okay, I don't need to memorize scripture because I can Google it and it's there. Now, with ChatGPT and other AI programs, I mean, I just did this for fun the other day. I was like, hey, write me a creed, right? And it was actually a really good creed that came out of, you know, what, who God is and, you know, and all this stuff. You can put in stuff like, hey, what would a skeptic say about this verse? And you, bam, there it is. There's all, there's all this stuff. And, and I think <clears throat> the challenge with, with so much content that people are inundated with, I think that only heightens the, the power of the text uh, of scripture, right? And, and it, it heightens the need that we have for something that is life-giving and in your words, uh, astonishing, right? I love that word. So mm -hmm. when you come to scripture, how is it different when you're reading that than other books? It's different because I'm receiving it um, by with my consent that this is going to be, I, I assume that it is what um, we've claimed it to be, that it's a word from God and that my job is to open myself up to be astonished by it and to not let go of it until it teaches me to love God and love neighbor. And that's regardless of the text. And obviously like a genealogy, you have to be a little more careful to get something really theological out of that. But that that's the, that's the piece. And I love that you raised AI and we have all these algorithms and stuff now. So I want to read, help people to read scripture precisely for what you just said, because um, how does one make their way in the world? It's going to come down to trust, right? Can we trust what the AI spits out? Can we trust what the preacher says? Well, the only way that you can um, learn to trust is to open ourselves up to what God wants to do in our lives and the old, the old adage, um, know yourself, because right now, every, I mean, everybody listening here, if we use our phones at all. I mean, our phones know what we want already, even if we don't, right? We get targeted advertising. YouTube knows exactly what video to give us the next time. If somebody listens to this podcast, whatever they're listening on, I'm going to give them the suggestion, hey, here's a podcast. It's just like this one. And so the step for me, the study of scripture, what gets me excited is I, I've, I've never gotten away from 
the fact that every time I read scripture, if I'm honest, um, the scripture is going to call me on my own BS. And again, I'm not going to say what that, you know, that I might say any stronger than that. It's going to call me on my blind spots, my assumptions, um, mm -hmm. the ways that I'm a hypocrite. And as long as I'm opened to hearing it that way, I can always be astonished with that good news because the Bible has a right. way of describing the human condition that I, that I really, I found no other book that actually does it. And any book that comes close is usually influenced by the Bible in some right. way. Right. Well, it, I work a lot in the self-help world, right? So a freelance writer, so I work with a lot of authors that are in that world, right? And a lot of, a lot of the common teachings kind of go like this. I mean, pull yourself up, get going, keep moving forward. You know, there's about five points you can just kind of insert and they find themselves into every self-help book, right? And, but the Bible is very unique that way, where the motivation to do what is right sustains you when life is good and when life is really hard. A lot of the self-help book stuff works when life is good, not so much when it's hard, right? But there's that, that dual nature of, of the text of scripture that I've found, um, yeah, it's just, it's very, a very unique experience. And for some that are listening to this, they're like, yes, yeah, I mean, I know that, right? <laughs> but I know there's probably a high percentage of listeners as well that here's what, what, here's what's happened. Maybe they've read the Bible a time or two in the past, but it's kind of become stale. When they pick it up, they're like, kind of like, ah, I don't feel like I'm getting what I'd like to get out of it. What other people like, like you, Brian, like you say you get out of it. How does that become a reality for me? Yeah. When you have students it, that approach you, what do you say to them? Yeah. And let me just say from personal experience, I went, these books, I mean, my last, I wrote a book on centering prayer a couple of years ago, and I wrote a book on this, this new book that comes out. This comes out of my dark night of the soul where, uh, and I have a book on some kind of book on deconstruction that I'm working on right now that I really just analyzed myself because I got to a period where scripture wasn't helping me. I got into such a painful space in my life that I couldn't go to church. I mean, I did go to church, but I couldn't sing when I was in church. The sermons, I'm thinking like, I should have just wrote my own sermon because this is, there's nothing that's speaking to me. The text was like, I knew, I kind of knew what it said and like, what am I going to do with this? So when I'm, when I wrote these things, I like, that's why I went back. I always work on myself. And so I've gone to dark places on my insides and just faced the possibility even like I thought I was afraid I was becoming mm -hmm. an atheist for even a season. One of my friends Damn. told me, no, you're not. You're just really honest and God's purging you. Yeah. And, and I would say in retrospect, that was probably true, um, but it didn't. Pur purging you of what? Purging you of what? Purging me of my idolatrous natures of who God is, that I, my own assumptions of who God was, even ones that maybe that were theologically correct, but losing concepts and assuming God was going to do things the way that I thought God should have done them. That kind, that kind of uh, um, uh, of things. I want to, I want to hit on this for a little bit because I yeah, know yeah. someone's listening, and th this is exactly where they're at. Yes, right? you've gained a, when you gain a lot of knowledge about God and you're kind of going up and up and up, it's very easy to sit in church and just kind of fill in the blanks ahead of time. Well, I already know where they're going. In your case, you know, you know this stuff inside and out. So when, you know, the pastor opens the text to Jeremiah, you already know, okay, we're going to, yeah, I know we're going to go here, right? What do you say to a person like that who has become so familiar that they, that it's just, that they feel 
they feel that tug where they're thinking, oh my goodness, I might be heading down that path of becoming an atheist and just rejecting all this stuff altogether. Yeah. Well, if it's, if it's essentially um, like if they're really going through a difficult period and, and I, I had an existential crisis beyond that. And I just wasn't the, tr- a lot of the traditional stuff just wasn't connecting with me because I kind of already knew it. But if somebody's literally just sitting in church and it's, it's, it's it just feels like it's the same old, same old, um, I would say a couple of things. I mean, um, what I learned a long time ago um, as a seminary professor, because it would be funny, the students were like, you know, police, I, you, you know, you'd scare me to death if you came to church. I'm like, well, where am I supposed to go to church? Somebody wants me to come because I'm the seminary professor. They think I'm going to sit in the front row and judge them or whatever. <laughs> so what, 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 I, <laughs> yeah, what yeah. I learned to do is literally, um, and it's a mindset, um, I'm here to learn something. And I'm going to listen for insight, not for agreement, period. Yep. And I know mm. there's some, so it's just a mindset. I'm going to listen because I'm here in obedience to, you know, God's call to worship. So my job is not to judge, you know, we can be discerning and I'm not talking about just drop your defenses, but assuming the person, um, you know, is called and has done their work, I need to listen super carefully because there's something there for me. So that's yeah. a mindset mm. and a commitment that I would make. And I don't say that in any judgment, but I think that's a thing is like, you're there, listen for insight, not for agreement. Um, and say, so, and you'll always find something like, look for the thing that you, you know, um, that's, that, that's a new thing. Now, in terms of just typical Bible reading, um, what I suggest, and that's where the, the this astonish comes by. I, Thomas Merton has a quote about being astonished. And then Ellen Davis, who, I think she still teaches at Duke. She has a book um, called Oh Wondrous Depth. And she has a whole um, chapter about how important it is to be astonished. And I just kind of kind of riff off of that. And so I came up with this little prayer and I started teaching it to students. It's like, let's just let's make it simple. Lord, astonish me anew. You know, Psalm one. I love that part when I when I yeah, got to that. Yeah. I was like, that that's a great line. Yeah. And, and to me, that's Psalm one. That's one of my favorite psalms because it says, um, you know, that talks about the blessed. Um, person, you know, his delight, it's not, we usually just focus, he meditates on the law of the Lord day and night, but the first one, his delight yeah, is in the law. And I'm like, delight, I need to the, cultivate a sense of delight. And that's important for us at any stage, because the, the reality of the scripture is, it's like the ocean, you can dip your toes in it, or you could go out to the Mariana Trench, whatever that is, Challengers Deep, that really deep spot. That's the scriptures are always going to be like that. So I need to remind myself, and that's where that prayer comes from, that God, I need to be open to being astonished anew, which means I need to learn something new. And it may be as simple, like this is just a hack trick, but it's true. There's so many translations. If you're kind of feeling like you know what the text says, grab a different translation and just start reading a different translation. have you checked out Scott McKnight's latest one that he, he wrote, the, the, the Second Testament? I I know it's out, but I haven't had the opportunity to actually I, look at it. So we had him on several weeks ago. I've been going through that in the evenings, and it's great. I mean, I'm sure there's different spots where I'd say, oh, maybe I'd use a little different word here, there, whatever. Um, but it, it's so thought-provoking because it does exactly what you say. It, it you know, I've got another translation here, Robert Alter, right, in, in his translation of the Hebrew Bible. And again, for some of you, if you're just reading the Bible for the first time, listen, you know, just enjoy whatever translation you've got. But if, you, if you've read it multiple times, what you're saying, Brian, I think is so, so powerful that y- you bring something in that helps you just think about it a little bit differently from a different angle, and man, it just pops alive in, in your life. So 
Elliot, Amen. I feel like we're hogging the conversation here, and uh, that's all right. <clears throat> you need to weigh in and and give your sure, you know, your input. Yeah. Oh man, I uh, I'm interested, Brian, in hearing a little more about that season you were in. Um, kind of where you were questioning, you know, your own belief and, you know, do I have lack of belief in God at this moment? Um, for me, going off a of translation, it was nice to to kind of spread out and try some things new, like a new translation uh, during some times of question, times of doubt, really seeking. Um, that really encouraged me. And that was from professors who reached out to me and said, hey, yeah, try try a new translation or try this uh, this study series and and go through go through this or something like that. Is that the type of thing you would encourage someone to do if they're say they're in a time of questioning about God? Um, you know, I think there's a lot of people. We, we've talked a lot about young adults being stale. I'm sure there's also older people who are coming to a point where they've done the the traditions, they've gone through life and kept you know, Sunday morning church, Sunday morning service, all of that, you know, tradition. And they may be coming to, you know, the end of their life thinking, man, like this feels just like a rhythm. Um, how do you even encourage them? What would be your some more advice there uh, in reflecting about your own struggle? Yeah. Um, let me answer that in two ways, like from, from the scriptures itself, um, I really recommend people read the book of Psalms frequently because hmm. if anybody ever has wonders like, Oh my gosh, I have so many doubts. And then you read the Psalms. Hmm. I mean, obviously the Psalms have lots of different types of Psalms, but like one of my favorite Psalms is um, Psalm 73. Um, and that, you know, it starts out uh, uh, truly God is good uh, to the upright uh, and then it says, but as for me, my feet almost slipped. And it tells this story about how the psalmist struggles. Now, his struggles was basically the classic, um, I'm righteous and my life is not going well. And all these people that don't believe in God or they're healthy, wealthy and wise, basically. And he goes through this crisis. But then you have this thing in the, the center in Psalm 73, it's verses 13 to 17, where He's just thinking about this continuously. So he's got all these doubts and, it, and he can't figure it out. But then he, it has this interesting thing. He doesn't say anything out of respect for God's children. And, I, and that, to me, it's like, okay, he had a community of people around him that still believed. And so he was hanging in there and he didn't want to hurt them by, you know, trying to deny the stuff. And then it said, um, then he went into the sanctuary and something happens in the sanctuary. And the beauty of that psalm is that it tells what happened, but everything kind of comes back on. And then by the end of the psalm, he's back to where he started. God is good and he's telling everybody about it. So it's always important, I think, when we're involved in mission that that helps. So I only say that um, is read the psalms and you'll find like-minded souls that, you know, accuse God of abandoning them, all these kind of things. So you can see, you get language. Cause a lot of times we think, you, you know, you, you, that like somehow I'm the only one that's ever had a doubt that I'm struggling, but you know, the Psalms themselves are the resource there. And I wouldn't say the Psalms encourage right. 
kind of these deconstruction things, but they basically show it's part of faith and you can come out on the other side because the questioning of the psalmist comes from a place of faith ultimately. And right. because they believe, they ask hard questions. And I think sometimes we flip it. Oh, you're asking hard questions. Why don't you believe? It's And, and, that's, and so we miss that. So I just encourage folks, read the Psalms and see that vocabulary. Now, what happened, what helped me, and this comes out in the book, um, is... Um, I discovered contemplative spirituality and contemplative spiritual uh, spiritual formation. And for me, um, talk about what, uh, explain what that is real quick, because some listening to this yeah. have, have no reference. Yeah, these these would be the the practices that essentially would have started in say monasteries in the past. That um, especially for Protestants. Um, these are some of the best kept secrets. Like some of the listeners may be um, like uh, Richard Foster, probably the most popular kind of conservative widespread author who talked about different spiritual disciplines. But what I'm sp sp specifically speaking of would be two, two practices that are three practices that are, that are really helpful. The first one is um, the art of spiritual journaling. Now, by the way, I don't think these are for everybody and, but you should dabble, but you know, at core, what really helped me when I was struggling is I committed to essentially doing a form of the prayer of examine, which is a form of journaling, which for just to make it really simple, and this is what I do to this day, every morning I write down five things that I'm really grateful for. Um, I write down where I'm struggling. I just name it. So I'm like almost doing a lament. Like, what is it that I'm struggling with? Where am I hurting? Um, and that's fortunately that's gotten a lot shorter these days, but early in my dark night of the soul, I, I just bared everything out there in that journal. And then at the end of the day, you come back and you just kind of review your day and you're looking like, okay, where did maybe God show up? You know, where was I not quite so loving? What can I be grateful for again at the end? So, you know, so it's, it's a gratitude practice. And if you read the scriptures, gratitude's everywhere. And sometimes we don't do that. So one of the really things is when you're struggling, figure out what you're grateful for because that brings you into the present. And then the game changer for me, and again, um, you know, I was a brain on a stick, basically. I mean, I'm a professor. I've always been kind of an intellectual stuff. What I needed, I didn't need answers. My whole life, I've been looking for answers and I had answers. I got to, you know, I needed God. And God encountered me not by reading books, not by listening to sermons. I had all that stuff. So we're not putting any of that stuff aside. I needed to encounter God. And I found that literally in what's known as the prayer of silence. I literally, because I didn't even know what to do. I just sat in silence and I found out I was doing ultimately what's called contemplative prayer or uh, a technique that is called centering prayer is instead of trying to figure everything out in my head, you take a word. I use Jesus and I sit in silence, you know, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes. And whenever I find my brain thinking about something, which will be almost the whole time, I just remake my intention. Jesus, I'm, I want, you know, in my brain, I just say Jesus. And I just kind of, you're just letting thoughts go. And what I noticed what happened, and I did enough research that I found out this was kind of normal, is um, it's God uses that to do his deep inner work. He brings the stuff out of your inside that are actually the real blocks that you have to receiving for what God has. This is where um, like the seven deadly sin stuff comes up. Those are usually movies, but you know, things like um, 
Um, I used Evagrius Ponticus, who was an early monastic, a, a, a monk. He, he had eight, but I, you know, I talk about these in the book. The things that ultimately mess with our faith are the disordered parts of ourselves, the hurt parts of ourselves that ultimately lead us to sin. And those are the, you know, the classic, the eight that he laid out were it's, it's um, <clears throat> greed, gluttony, lust, anger, uh, spiritual laziness, and sadness. And then he thought the ultimate killer was pride. So he had two different words, pride, which wanted people from the outside to praise us or um, pride. That's the inner thing. I, I my superiority over others and then vain glory, which is looking for um, that from other people. And so when I say contemplative spirituality, it's this, I'm going to be in silence and let God work to cleanse me. And then you bring that space back to scripture. And like my book, I try to talk about an old reading practice, Lectio Divina, which just means divine reading. But you come to scripture um, open-handed, ready to be astonished after having kind of sat in silence to let God break up the soil of our hearts. And so that's what brought me back online. And it wasn't, you know, reading a hard theology book. It was literally using classic spiritual practices that have existed for literally the entire history of the church that sometimes us Protestants don't know about. And uh, that's what I'm really passionate about now. It's powerful and it goes so countercultural. Because what I've found, I've preached against cell phones, right? Uh, You know, and, uh, but I carry it around with me everywhere I go. And it's so tempting, right? My my guilty pleasure is chess, right? Oh, me too. I mean, I literally, I, I me too. I've had to like uh, do a chess fast just because I play uh, chess.com when I have sex. I'm a nerd. Oh, what can man. I say? Um, but yeah, so, so you sit down and you're like, oh, got, you know, got to check, you know, play a 10 minute game of chess real quick here. And, and you, you have all those things that those distractions. But what ha- ends up happening is then you just you end up going at a very frantic pace of life you're anxious you're frustrated and you kind of just you keep spiraling like that and often it's either god has to pause us pause our lives or we can go the intentional route and say hey i'm going to uh, take time to take a step back let's end with this i know we're over time here but for someone that is kind of in that spiral and the word of god is not astonishing to them and they've lost a little bit of that sense of awe Give, give them a good place to start. I would go with uh, simplicity because you just named it. The, the, the biggest um, struggle spiritually that we have is literally distraction right now. And so I would honestly say uh, if a person's already following Jesus and they're struggling, I mean, maybe one of the best things to do would literally just go outside and open your eyes, get your head up. Don't take your phone. Don't listen to music and just look around and see how big the world is to get some perspective. And then the, you know, the next thing that I, that I would literally do is um, I would just spend some time sitting alone in silence to let things settle and remove a couple of distractions and then come back with that Lord astonish me anew and come to the scripture mm-hmm. when you're in an unsettled uh I uh, know in a, in a settled place, not when you're unsettled. So do enough, like think of like taking a glass with a bunch of mud in it, stirring the mud up, yep, yep. let it yourself settle. So the, all the dirt gets to the bottom. And when you come to the scriptures with a settled space, when you do prayer, or you maybe try one of these journaling practices, God's radio station is always playing. 
but we just got to dial it in a little bit. And it's, it's the, and so that's, I don't know if I'm being too esoteric when I say that, but it's literally, we just got to get ourselves settled, opened no, up good. because the, the beautiful thing is if you're going to, the Christian faith is so deep, so much there and God's even bigger than all that stuff. And yeah. we just tend to go for this little shallow stuff. So give yourself the gift of simplifying your life enough that if God's actually speaking, you, like Jesus said, we would have the ears to hear. Yeah. Amen. We'll link to your book in the show notes below so people can pick up a copy uh, of that as well. Astonished by the word. Great read, great resource. So Brian, thank you so much for taking some time to come on today. No, I'm really grateful. And thanks you guys. And thanks everybody for listening all the way to the end here. Well, great conversation. And there's so much more we could have covered. Anytime you start talking yeah. about the Bible scripture, you know, interpretation, all that kind of stuff. It's like, man, you can go in 50 different directions, but I hope the path that we chose today was hopeful for you as you listened. So Elliot, especially it's helpful for you. Yeah. Just thinking about culture and, and how we can apply scripture to our current time and dealing with some hot button issues or terms of our time. It's uh, it's good to, to talk about how scripture applies to some of this. Yeah, it's, it's tricky. And especially if you're running at a fast pace, right? Mm-hmm. Even talked about AI and all that stuff, right? It's so simple and <laughs> get on Google and Google stuff. And, and it's, it's easy to open up the Bible and want things quickly, but understanding how to just sit still, be present, allow God to speak. Like, even think, the last month or two we're going to have and just a little bit slower but it's actually a rewarding time because i said okay this is the time that god's saying to kind of pull back and just kind of refocus on me and so maybe as you're listening to this maybe you're going through a little bit of a time like that and i would say just hey lean into that lean into that because sometimes the slowing down is where we can really rehear god's voice in a meaningful way so all right that's enough uh, as always, if you can, leave us a five-star review on iTunes, Google Play. Uh, we'll talk to you all again next week. Thank you for listening to the Monday Christian Podcast. To support our vision and find new ways to put your faith into action throughout the week, visit themondaychristian.com. That's themondaychristian.com.